Hey there, it's Jay here, uh, talking to you in the future in relation to the rest of what you're about to hear on the Season 1 Postmortem, for additional postage required. Uh, just a heads up, Kai had to switch microphones during this, so you are going to hear them kind of sound one way and then sound a different way as they uh, have to go to their uh, earbud mics. So, it's a little change in quality, bear with us, we've got a whole bunch of secrets and thoughts and wisdoms and answered questions in the uh, Season 1 Postmortem, so... Without further ado, additional post-mortem required. Behind the scenes, post-mortem, the uh, cracking open all the secrets and letting you know what they are for the first season of Additional Postage Required, the Moonshot Podcast Network's audio drama podcast about delivering mail in space. Uh, it's weird to be introducing a thing on this feed like this, because normally you don't hear my voice very much, but here I am. Uh, my name's my name is Jay Petroquin. I use they, them pronouns. I uh, am the creator of Additional Postage Required and editor and main writer and, uh, you know, a lot of things. And I'm joined today by the other half of my brain on this show with whom I don't know if it would have ever happened and the voice of our main character. Uh, uh, I'm joined by first by Chris. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I was really thrown off there because I couldn't tell which one of us you were describing for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I keep you guessing. I use he him pronouns. I wrote, I co-wrote one episode of the show, wrote one episode of the show solo, and kind of just helped Jay get the show going otherwise. And also I connected them with uh, Kai, who's also with us. Hello. Speaking of Kai, hello Kai. How are you doing? Good. How are you? So yeah, uh, Kai... Uh, Swanson, they, she pronouns, and I'm honored to play the part of Gwen. Yeah, kind of the way we're going to do this is I I wanted to talk about like getting APR going from the beginning, from having the idea to talking to Chris about it, to Chris introducing Kai, and then just kind of going it in, into it from there. Well, first off, before we even do that, let me ask y'all, how are y'all feeling now that this show is over and done with after it being part, the, the first season being part of like all three of our lives for a very long time? I'm just relieved that people like it because like <laughs> yeah. for a lot of years it was me just kind of like talking to you but like no I think this is cool I think people like it I think it'll do well but then like you never actually know so like I could have been like encouraging you to spend all of your time and energy on something that like didn't connect with anybody and that would have sucked so I'm glad that people <laughs> liked it and that um it wasn't a I mean it wouldn't have been a waste of time even if nobody liked it because you still probably got something out of just the act of making it um but I, I'm glad that that we got so many like consistent things of people talking in the discord of like, Oh, like I love this episode. Or, I love this show. Or, I love this character. Um, and, uh, something that like the listeners probably don't know. I don't even know if Kai knows this, but, um, one of my coworkers, cause I posted about the podcast on Facebook. And one of my coworkers let me know that like her daughter listened to and really liked the podcast. And that was like, to me, the, the biggest compliment that we got all season long is just like a random unrelated kid liked the show. Then like we did good. That's good. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. I knew about that. I told you about it, but you know, maybe you're too smart I'm stupid. compliments about the show. Didn't didn't you know I'm real stupid. All all my brain memory is occupied by making the show, and so anything outside of the act of directly making it 
And there's some Pokemon in there, too. Yeah, yeah, I know who Pikachu is. I know what he does, you know, all that stuff. I have just, it's it's wonderful. It's the first non-binary character I've ever played. Oh, wow. It's really a wonderful experience. Um, I think another thing, too, is I just really, really, really love the script. So it was, it was cool to get to work on a project where you love the script so much. Um, it's also one of the first things in a very long time that uh, I, I've only acted on which is a rare thing for me in my life. I have only acted on it versus doing 50 other roles. And so, which is also a really wonderful experience. And um, I've, I don't know, I've appreciated working with both of you, but with you directing Jay, like you're such a dream of a director to work with. Oh my God. You, you let me like, it's true. Stop. It's true. You <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing for half of it. Ah! No, really though. Like you like, yeah, you like are very open to any thoughts, suggestions. Like I don't know, life was life was pretty rough outside of the podcast for me for quite quite a bit of it. You're very understanding about it, which made me do the character even better. So, which 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 made it easier for me to perform. So yeah. thank you for that. So yeah, a very very positive experience. I'm ready to I'm ready to jump back in for season two. Yeah, that, that's, that's like something that I. That's something I was like, oh, I should have mentioned that too. Is like one of the things that I'm excited about. It's like, and more so for me than Jay. And I think we actually had a couple times where I would message you ideas or, or thoughts about season two, and you had to mm-hmm. kind of like be like, like, wait, <laughs> give, me, yeah. give me a minute to breathe. Like you, you've been done on this for a while, but I have not. So like, I can't even think about that yet. I yeah. I want I want to slightly I. Not push back on that, but what it was was you would come to me with those thoughts while I was still like editing episodes of season one. When <laughs> yeah. when we finished yeah. season one, I think later the day the finale released, I messaged you saying I want to start working on season two right now, or like yeah. with that first twenty four hours after game day parts you released, it was very quickly like, well now now I'm unstoppable. Now that I've made a season of this, I'm basically God. There is yeah, no difference yeah. between me and the Christian God. We are the same guy. I can well, do that's anything. The thing is like to what both of you were saying about it is like I think the directing is kind of not knowing what you're doing for yeah. a lot of especially your first time doing it. Like yeah. I I think it'd be silly to kind of imagine that even like the world's greatest directors like Scorsese probably didn't know shit when he directed his first movie. You know what I mean? Like sure. I don't know. Like you have He's to like just kind of dive into this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no that, I mean that's absolutely true. I don't I think also that because of the nature of this, it is a group effort. It's like it's very team based. And also I think just naturally you as a as a person, you're a natural collaborator. And so I think that was kind of a nice part of it. So are both of y'all, and that's that's really what so much of it is, right? Is that like and you know, this is this is kind of going into some stuff we did get questions about, but like Kai, when you and I started talking, I will never forget the conversation you and I had when we first met, like talking about Clem, just from that first script from at this point at that point. When you and I met, I think it was just an early script of episode one was what we had. Uh, but just kind of talking about get, getting into Clem's head and who they are, it felt like there was collaboration kind of immediately happening in terms of how we understood that character. And Chris, when I was first pitching you the idea early on, you were yes-anding me and I was yes-anding you within 30 minutes of you asking what this audio drama idea I had had was. And so, like, everyone being collaborative and working together is what made this thing be real versus not real. That goes to other actors, too. Like, you know, I I feel like every major uh, actor in this show at some point said, hey, do you feel like this character would actually say this a little more like Y instead of X? And I would go, oh, yes, absolutely. And that that's... You know, if I were to say, like, one of the things I feel like I learned as a director that's really important is I... 
fundamentally, I believed this, but now I know it, that, like, it is about letting everyone be a writer on it in real time, kind of, when you are in the zone, when you are doing scenes, when you are doing all that stuff, right? Like, everyone is a writer, in a way, on this show, when you really come down to it, in terms of how people put their own spins on characters, and how people sort of interpret what a line should sound like. Yeah. Um, my my wife did the voice of Doga, and I like remember them coming to me at one point, and I was like, "Oh, like you recorded my script? Like how'd it go?" And they're just like, "Yeah, I changed a bunch of your lines because like it wasn't like computer enough." And I was like, "Damn, like <laughs> get my ass!" But like you know, that's good though. That's good when an actor can kind of like they know at that point, like they know the character better than you. Um, sure. It's kind of I'm realizing that's like the cliche thing that all the writer directors say, but it's true. Like because yeah. like you know like they have to like get into the they have to kind of put themselves into them and and make what you've written work um whereas you just kind of do the first draft of that and so it's good when actors um are able to do that and i like that you know you obviously in the recording sessions made them feel able to do that and i liked that they were they cared enough to do that because it would have been very easy for actors who were doing this for the the sake of it and not being like paid or it not being a super high profile gig right away or anything to just like kind of phone it and just do it but like people cared enough to be like i think my character would actually do it more like this and that's like yeah. a good sign yeah yeah the, the fact that we felt like I, I cannot speak highly enough of just going down the list like lex and scotty and theo and sabrina and every single other person uh like, like jared and everyone who had a voice in this show really did bring that level of all really did bring a level of like I'm not just here to like say I did this on a resume I'm here because like I like this character in script and want to like want this to be I want myself to be part of this character and this character to be part of me as we kind of go through this was the was the vibe I got from a lot of people um Roma yeah. really played you know Gil Hargrave a level of silly that was entirely different from how I'd even thought about how silly a character that is but like you know, came extremely from their own heart in doing that. Like, it was really incredible seeing that happen with different people and different combinations of people over 10 episodes and a lot of recordings. Yeah, and I think that that's been a really important piece of the show, like, maybe even more so than it's important to every show like this, because I remember that we auditioned a few people for the the role of Clem, and I remember you telling me when you were like, I'm pretty sure it's Kai, and the reason was that, like, Kai engaged with the the material and the character on a like deeper yeah. level than the other people that came in and read for it did. And so you could kind of tell one, it was like the level of care and effort and attention, but then also like the quality of the things that Kai was bringing to it and just like, Oh, like this is the person I want to like ride with me on this yeah. and, as my lead. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. For real. Like, yeah. <laughs> Kai, Kai, Kai immediately gave me like, Clem was still a character I was getting to know, you know, because it was we had the one script. Like we were still getting to know who this person really was. And Kai came in with insights on who this person was that were totally different than mine or than Chris's or other people we'd, you know, like it was very quickly like, oh, we're going to figure out who this person really is together. And that is what I want, especially out of like a main character and and casting a main character. So thank you so much for being here, Kai. (laughs) Ah, thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> uh do you want to like go back to the the very beginning then? i, I do uh, i i actually quick? really quick want you, you were talking about um the the person whose daughter listened to the show i i that reminded me of something that i went and found while you were talking about that, that i just want to shout out very quickly because i had a similar story that i wanted to shout out um this would have been i don't have a date on this image i would have to go back and find that uh so andrew sherman of our own moonshot podcast network sent me a message one day this is maybe 
few episodes into APR releasing earlier this year, someone emailed the main moonshot email. This is an email from uh, Yasser Tariq uh, saying, thank you for producing and sharing such a good sci-fi audio drama. I binged. Okay, this is we're, we're six episodes deep at this point. I binged all the six episodes released so far. All of them were very entertaining. Thank you for making my Ramadan so much more enjoyable. This was a random listener in Pakistan who wow, I yes. don't necessarily know how he, how he found the show or us, but I was so touched that just a person from a corner of the world I have no connection to like like that I didn't I don't know if any of us have previous follower bases in whatever found our show from just a far off corner of the world like that email really just like stood out to me as like oh my god like it's kind of people from just everywhere so so yeah so uh yes here if you're listening I apologize if I've pronounced your name incorrectly uh thank you so much for listening and for sending that in it was really lovely to read that doesn't it? Doesn't it just make you so glad you tried, Jay? Like, making the show, like, <laughs> yeah. like for real though. Like it would have been so easy to be like, oh, like I want to make an audio drama, but like I don't know how to do that or I can't do that, and then just like not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I don't know. So I I've been part of this since what like March of twenty twenty one. Yeah, and there was honestly like never a doubt in my mind that this was going to be something very special. Aww. And and it's true. Like there, like you know, like when you're working on something for so long, like when you go into these like recording sessions and things like that. You know, I've worked on projects for a really long time that nothing mm. came of them, and uh, there was never a doubt that something very special would come from this. So I don't, I don't know if that has something to do with what we're talking about, but that's just a thought. That no, it it, it, it it does, and that that's awesome. Like that that that's thank you for that because like that that is a real thing too. Um, this is kind of the first, like, longer work. Like, you know, the, talking about this as a season, it's kind of the, like, biggest long-form work of fiction I've actually finished. Like, I, you know, I went to creative writing college. I have half a novel that I'm currently on the side, like, working on actually getting back to now. I have a oh, lot of... Finish it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> um, I, I am, like, in a better place to now from finishing season one of APR, though, because what happened is that I've had all these projects in my life since I was a teenager that were, like, big in scope in my head to the point where I would just kind of choke myself out from ever getting there. Um, Going back to when I wrote a serialized Pokemon fanfiction on a website when I was 15. Like, even just going back to, you know, just going back as far back as you can go. And so... I think for a long time, you know, it can be really easy to build yourself up about, oh, well, I'm never going to finish that. I'm never going to get all the way to the end of doing that. You know, it's not 100% state of mind, but it's like 90% state of mind. Like, it it is so much state of mind in terms of whether or not you do that. And it was really, this was just the thing that got, this was just the project that I was able to get to the end of. And it, I I have really felt differently about other creative works since uh, getting there. So, so hearing that you always knew it was going to be something is really nice because I always wanted it to be something and I always knew it was something that if I was going to do, I was going to whole ass it. Uh, and it's, it's sure enough become the hardest thing I've ever worked on in my life. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's definitely been like a, a formative experience in that kind of way. Yeah. Do you all want to, Chris, uh, you were, you were talking about starting from the beginning and I think that is the thing to do. I'm trying to find who on the list, uh, asked about like the very beginning. It was Audrey from alone at the table on, on moonshot. Uh, Audrey wrote, can you pinpoint when you first had the idea for APR? How long have you wanted to do a fiction podcast? Was it always APR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I can like start there and then we can just talk about how like each of us kind of came together along the timeline from there, if that sounds good. Um, so APR first came together. I, I knew I wanted to do an audio drama podcast 
since before Moonshot, um, if you're listening and you're a little newer to kind of our universe before the Moonshot Podcast Network, there was the Orange Groves Podcast Network, which is how me and Chris originally met each other, how a lot of other people, how most of the people in what is now, or a lot of people who are in what is now Moonshot sort of first came together. Um, Riley Hopkins, who you hear in episode three is Todd, is is one of the, the founding people of that. There's other people as well. I was a friend of the network back in, you know, 2018, 2019. I would get, I would call myself Jay Petroquin Perpetual Guest for a long time because I would just hop on other people's shows a lot. And I knew I wanted to do something. I made a, uh, in early 2020 when COVID was first starting, uh, I did finally actually make a show on the network. Me and Kirsten Meehan, uh, an amazing friend of mine from college, great writer. Uh, we made a show called The Marmoset Chronicles, a personal retrospective, which was an entirely fictional uh, retrospective show on a series of movies that don't actually exist that we sort of like came up with through like improv conversation on the fly. But kind of during that period, and you know, this is again like right before COVID to early on in COVID starting, I kind of knew that I wanted to try doing an audio drama thing. Um, like I mentioned, I, I, I have not a lot published, but I've been writing fiction and coming up with stories since I was a kid, you know, like that's just always been the core of my wheelhouse. I, I, I knew I wanted to do something like that. Originally, I wanted to do like a six episode miniseries to sort of start off with. And this is at a point where I listened to a couple audio dramas and I was kind of gaining a bigger sense of what the genre could be. I uh, had listened to a lot of Welcome to Night Vale, which is like, it, it is one of those. It, it has a more specific shtick to it than a lot of audio dramas, but it definitely counts. Uh, I forget his name, but one of the creators of that show's other, uh, Joseph Fink's other show, uh, Alice Isn't Dead, I was also listening to at that time, and then, um, Ars Paradoxica, which is a really good, uh, like, historical time travel drama show, uh, I was getting very into at that time and thinking, I should try making something like this, even if it's short at first, have the first thing be, like, a six-episode miniseries, had some ideas that just kind of fell by the wayside, partly because I had them right before we did the Marmoset Chronicles, then we did that. And then it was like summer 2020, you know, lockdown was well underway. And I, I know what the main inspirations for additional posters required are. I don't know if I was even like revisiting any of them at the moment, but for whatever reason, the specific influences I had, and we, we can kind of talk about like inspirations for the show and episodes and characters in greater detail. But like, I think that something about you know, it being COVID and thinking about people communicating over distance was something I was thinking about a lot, which <laughs> at this point feels like a generic thing to say if you made anything during 2020, but it's true. Like, you know, that lockdown affected all of us and certainly everyone who like makes stuff in any capacity. Um, that was happening and I, I, I really liked the idea of, I, 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 you know, I wanted to write something that was about someone who wandered to very different locations. I like, I like wanderers. I like vagabonds and bounty hunters and people who visit strange new lands every episode. Um, and, and one of my influences, uh, is, is a manga called Tagami Bachi. Uh, which, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that, but I'll bring it up here. Uh, Tagami Bachi is a mid-2000s uh, fantasy manga about mail couriers in sort of a dark fantasy setting where it's like uh, eternal night. There's an artificial sun that shines over this, you know, central city and society's kind of stratified. The further out you go into the darkness, the more dangerous it is. Uh, and so the mail couriers who go out there are like, you know, they, they are survivalists. They are like 
uh, early American trailblazer. Like, you know, you have to keep a knife in your boot and a uh, early first aid kit at all times or you will fucking die out there delivering someone uh, a box of, of envelopes or whatever. And, and there are some supernatural ideas in there about people's connection to mail that really stuck with me ever since I was a kid first reading it. Because um, it went when it first came out, uh, Shonen Jump, the monthly uh, manga comic publication here in America, had uh, Takami Bachi in it for a few months. And just reading that, I wound up buying most of it. I have most of the volumes of the comic. Uh, and it really just stuck with me. That idea really stuck with me. And so I think... That had just been cooking for over a decade, and it just sort of solidified. Um, then, Chris, I came on the show. You were the Evangelion show you were doing at the time. Uh, do you remember? Uh, it, so, so, Nervous Rex, the the show that you did with, with Joe back in the day about Evangelion, it was one of the two times I guested on it. I don't know which one. But after recording, I remember you, me mentioning something about this idea I was working on, and you going, hey, tell me more about that. It was because you said the phrase space mailman. Yeah. Like, I think I have a pretty good, like, ear and eye for this sort of thing, and I was just like, that sounds fun. I want to be involved in that if I can, or at least, like, help you make it, or if not that, literally just, like, I want to know more about that because it sounds cool and, like, something that should exist. Yeah, that was really all it took for me to start, like, getting nosy about it was, like, space mailman. Like, okay, that's, like... (laughs) I like that. I would I would listen to that. And so, yeah, I just kind of started, like, um, asking questions about it and trying to see what you were doing. And then, like, it just became a thing where I just was sort of like, hey, if you ever want to, like, talk story or bounce this stuff off of somebody, that's, like, one of my favorite things in the world to do. So, like, just, like, yeah, like, we'll just talk about your thing you're making. And I can kind of be as uh, part of that as little or as much as you want is kind of eventually how we landed on that. Um, and I, I, I sort of was just like a sounding board for you for a while. And I would I would read your scripts and give notes on them and stuff. Um, and then at some point you were talking about the um, episode three, the uh, the haunted mansion with an author thing. And it was like an elevation of what I was already interested in from Space Mailman. It's like, it's like I, I started, like, kind of being like, oh, well, like, you could do something like this, too. It started, like, pitching, like, ideas. And then you asked the question I was waiting for, was like, would you want to help me put that together? And I was like, yes. Like, that premise is so fun and so, like, up my alley. It's like, I just want to, like, I want to write that, like, with you. Um, but, like, I think even before that was when, I started kind of volunteering to connect you with people because of the fact that I am a former former pro wrestler, former film student, comic book writer, da 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 It's like I've met a lot of creative people in a lot of different fields and stuff, so I was like, I could, can probably help you find, like, actors or editors or people doing music or whatever you need for it. Just let me know. And then um, I thought of Kai, who I first met as a TA in the film program at the University of Iowa, which, like, I said this in the Discord, but it's still insane to me to see, like, Moonshot fans talking about Kai by name because it's a person that, I like, was a TA, like, a somewhat <laughs> of an authority figure for me when I was in film school. And now it is a person who's not only, like, my friend and a collaborator and someone that, like, the podcast network that I helped start, like, their fans are aware of this person now because of this connection. It's just, like, weird and cool. Um, but I knew that Kai was really, like, multi-talented and, like, had done a lot of, like, directing and and shooting, but also acting. I was interested in that sort of thing. So I was like, oh, I bet Kyle would be perfect for this. And so 
I kind of like linked you two together and luckily that turned out to be a fit. Yeah. Kai, Kai, do you want, you want to talk about from your perspective, you coming in from there? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny to bring that up because, um, the Chris worked on one of my film sets one time. Whoa. Um, I did. I did a bad job too. (laughs) No, you did not. (laughs) I did. did. Me me and Chris Chris are both just like, we do such bad jobs. And Kai's like, no, no, I, I, no, Kai had, I was operating the boom mic, like the simplest job on the whole set. And like, Kai had to tell me like a million times, like Chris, like I need that like closer. I was like, oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's like like, two scenes past. Like, Hey Chris, like closer. I was like, oh, got it. Got it. (laughs) No. Yeah. I was directing and acting on that. And uh, Chris was so wonderful. And Chris, you've always been such like a positive, wonderful spirit. Um, and so like when you like reached out about this, I was like immediately I knew it, could, it, could, it was going to be a, a positive experience. Um, but yeah, pandemic. OMG. <laughs> um, I'd actually I stayed really busy during the pandemic. I did a, a lot of like freelance producing and stuff like that. And I'd worked on a lot of projects that I didn't like. Mm. And I'd also gone through um uh, I mean, I've been acting since I was a kid, but I'd never really been formally trained. And so I actually went through like a nine month Meisner training program. Um, and so f- fun fact, fresh, I was fresh out of that program. I've got my certificate when I auditioned. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, think you told I'd me spoken... that at some point, but I forgot it was so like, right. Like two things happened right in the row. Yeah. Yeah. I had actually talked about the part in the script with my acting coach um, wow. Yeah. Rest in peace, Wendy Ward. She had she passed away about like a, oh probably like a week before we started recording. Incredible oh. woman. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I, I I owe everything in related to acting really to her. Um, but yeah, like I was dying. I was dying for a good part. I was dying. And so I read the script and I'm like, this is mine. <laughs> this is mine. I have to. <laughs> Like, I'm not even kidding. I loved it so much. And I was like, yeah, I was I was adamant um, how much I loved the script and how much I loved getting to play like an action. I love sci-fi. I grew up I grew up reading a lot of Octavia Butler, like just love sci-fi, love sci-fi films, Time Machine, H.G. Wells, that whole shebang. And very, very much so. Clem is an outsider to some extent. I've always kind of felt like an outsider, like I've moved around a lot in my life and Clem has moved around a lot in their life and this thing of these people just disappearing, like definitely like there's something there. There's definitely something there. And so it was nuanced. There are moments of joy and silliness and happiness and surreal surrealness. And so I think, yeah, like when going through the auditioning process, I was like adamant. Like, this is the part that I want to play after like doing a lot of stuff that I just did not like doing. <laughs> and I'm very glad to be and you all are so kind and welcoming and just so friendly like I worked on a lot of sets where people are not that way so it was it made it really easy to to kind of feel like part of the team and part of the crew and and just jumping right into it so it's so stupid yeah. that like anyone makes playing pretend together a like a bad experience like yeah. what we're doing is like inherently fun and mm-hmm. like it yeah. should be but um, it's like the reason to do it is because you don't want to like grow up and do like normal shit. And so like you should, <laughs> everyone should just be like having a good time playing pretend together. I don't know. I'm glad that you yeah. brought up Clem's backstory and stuff because I think that's one of the things that is like really, it's really interesting. And I think well done on Jay's part in like um, the execution of the season because yeah. I was remembering during this, like I have to be careful because I know more about the 
events of the story's world and a bit more about the character than the audience does. And it's yeah. like, because there's a lot of stuff with Clem that is like really, really subtly set up in season one that like I would love to just like hear the listeners talk about because I have no idea what they have gleaned and not gleaned from the experience of season one and how much they've put together and how much they know versus how much it's like, I don't know, I'm just here for the ride. You know what I mean? Like, because like you've, you've given yeah. them very sparse sort of indications about like what some larger things are going on that will be touched on in future seasons and stuff yeah yeah no for sure that's that's a huge part of it like again i loved that whole like backstory like that 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 whole element too and i remember us really talking a lot about that because there are certain scenes where it's like there's a there's a different tone that i think will lead to something in season two that needed that needed to be presented in certain yeah there's a lot with clem like this is the first season of a show that is obviously following Clem, but isn't isn't really about Clem in the way that like a you know like we are not learning about Clem's whole past like like to you know to what you're both bringing up there like things are seeded that yeah I I I'm curious how many things stand out um, as things that are seeded into this season as a thing to bring back up in later seasons versus how many like what things do people notice what things are people thinking about uh, listeners if you have theories i would love to see you have theories i won't tell you any answers because i keep secrets but like i'll I'll say this like Mm -hmm. uh like i i know there are scenes that that were part of the episodes that we wrote either just me on my own or the ones that i co-wrote with you where there are scenes that like the intent was to give things that will later make more sense if you were to go back and re-listen to season one after you know more about clem and the past like you'll see that we were kind of like doing something in some of those scenes that you that weren't apparent the first time. So, um I think it'll I think it'll reward a a revisit, which is always a cool thing when something can do cuz like I don't think mm-hmm. that like something has to do that to be good, but I always think it's like an extra level of good if if it does do that. Something that was important to me is to, to do what you're talking about but kind of do it at two different strata, like two different scales at once. Um one being, yeah, like across the whole series, like you know, year few years from now we have however many seasons we end up doing of this show, look back and see things that were seeded in season 1 that come up in later seasons. The other one, the other scale though, is doing that same thing within the confines of just the first season and I feel like there too we figured out really well over time how to set up some things that would kind of develop over the course of a season. Even though there's a lot we don't know about Clem, there are bits of themselves that are kind of revealed over the course of a few episodes. Um I remember Chris when you and I were writing The Haunting of Autumn Manor together, we had I, I remember stressing out a lot about the robots, the the uh, thespian robots in that yeah. episode. Um, Because yeah. I was, we, we kind of always wanted to have Clem getting stuck in a space with those be like, they're just reading a script from whatever show they're from, you know, whatever thing uh, Miriam Autumn wrote, but whatever they're saying happens to be resonating with Clem, right? And is resonating yeah. maybe in a way we don't catch the full scope of yet, but that like... Yeah will become relevant later on in the season. I hemmed and fucking hawed over that. There's a way longer version of that scene in earlier scripts that I think you helped me cut down and I just sort of went back to and cut. Like, we did a lot of work cutting that down, I think, and kind of making it be a lot more concise. Um, because, like, what you kind of get in that scene is is a lot of early prodding at Clem having, like, commitment issues and pushing people away. Uh 
Or you kind of get a sense of that already by then because there's a lot of that in how they talk to Strelitzia in the second episode when they're first getting offered the new Penzance job. But you see a lot of that, like, episode three is you see them being cornered with it in a different way, and then that is something you kind of get to carry with you through the rest of the season when, you know, they deal with Balth later and they come back to New Penzance later. So, like, I feel like, you know, within the confines of the first season, seeing them make that little arc uh, when they do eventually decide to come back to New Penzance and sort of, like, deal with the idea of commitment a little differently, I feel like even just within the confines of the first season, I would like to hope that if you go back to listen to it from the beginning once finishing it, you'd kind of get that same experience you're talking about with the show as a whole. That that was always a big goal of mine. Is I want that on the big scale, but also on those smaller scales as well as is humanly possible. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting because it's very different from how I would write most of my stuff. Like, you were brave enough to be very subtle and let things be very disconnected and understated, and I feel like my urge would be like, oh, we have to like make this like more clear, like what we're doing with this or what this is saying about the character, da da da. And like you just never really seem to be worried about that, which I think was cool. And like mm. I think regardless of whether or not people picked up on like all the specifics that we both like did or were hoping for, I think it's working well enough because people like the character and are invested in what's going to happen with them, and that's really all that is like the end of the day important and then you know if they pick up on stuff later or whatever else then it's just like a bonus on top of that yeah yeah something i was thinking about because it's kind of extending into new territory but that was really fun was when going into scenes with some of the actors and the characters because i rehearsed you know like i'd rehearse it rehearse it but really like um it it's it's a completely different process when you get into the scene with another actor and it was really fun how the 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 chemistry across the the cast was insane (laughs) yeah like we all had incredible chemistry and like finding new things like i think particularly with scotty Mm -hmm. i was just like oh my god you have to give us more material together next season (laughs) you have to another another university of iowa connection yeah you went to university of iowa yeah so scotty was in one of my what? scotty was in one of my creative writing classes um before i ditched the creative writing major i was like i just want to go all in on like the cinema stuff um we were in like a fiction creative writing class and he was like real quiet and like i didn't really get to know him at all but i was just kind of like i don't remember which one of us did it but like we added each other on facebook as just like we were in the class together or whatever and then i saw him posting about like being interested in acting at some point and like as my as my role kind of became more of like a producer on the show for Jay, just trying to like make like necessary stuff happen in terms of like helping cast, helping get people and whatever else. I was just like my eyes and ears are always open for like I got you. I can reel this person in and, and use them and like, get them yeah. to try out and see if they want to be part of this, whatever. And so yeah, he's someone else. I didn't know you didn't know that guy. He's also from the same college we were I both had no at. Idea. Yeah, that's so funny. That'll yeah. be good next time. Next time we hopefully have scenes together. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, like he, our scenes together were so fun. Like they were, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that Scotty, like Alder as a character came from very humble beginnings. There are characters in APR who, you know, came very fully formed in my head. And there's other characters who were just, who are just kind of born from like, I need Clem to have someone there bouncing off against each other here. And in the beginning, when I was first, when we were first writing the first version of episode two, the one which if you're on the, uh, the, the show's Patreon, you will see that script at some point. I'm going to put it up there and you'll see a much more boring version of that episode. Um, <laughs> but, but when I was first writing, writing Alder, it was really that it was like, I need, 
need I need Kai or I need Clem to have someone to bounce off of here, someone who's like familiar with the streets and the map and the layout, that kind of thing. Here's kind of the type of person I think Clem would have that easy friendship with, you know, a couple years younger than them, very quick talking and just like chipper dude. And you know, like like Alder did develop a lot more over writing on, on a script level. Then Scotty came in and just shone a ray of sunshine on that character. So bright. Like, this is this is a funny little bit of behind the scenes. Is that originally, you know, like my my feeling with uh Alder and Strelitzia and like the dragonfly nest is yeah, those things will come back, but like I didn't necessarily, you know, this isn't telling you what will or won't be in season two, but like at a certain point I didn't necessarily have plans to like, oh, they have to come back in season two. Like, they, you know, they have to be back. Now I do feel that way about them and Strelitz. Like, Strelitzia and Alder are two characters that I feel yeah. so much more strongly about. Even if it's just an episode, they need yeah. to be back in season two with a vengeance so yeah. hard. And yeah, like, Kai, y you and Scotty built up such a good chemistry so fast. Roma had a really good chemistry really quickly with everyone when doing Gil Hargrave. Uh, yeah. Theo did with both, like, and you know, like, like I think everyone. Yo, I loved both. Yeah, those scenes where we're like snapping back at each other were so fun. Like, fuck you. We threw in like like more f bombs. Okay, like, okay, okay. Necessary. You bring that up. I'm gonna wait. Let me find whose question it was. Someone asked. Audrey also uh, asked, what scenes are the standout moments of the season in each of your opinions? And I think that's a really interesting one. That is one of those. Um, obviously, the finale is the finale and the finale is fabulous. But there is something about once the dust has settled in episode eight, when it's just Balth and Clem, like... For Clem, I think it's it's this thing of like Clem tries to make friends with everyone, right? Like even when they're being sort of, even when they're being uh, accused of murder on on Skilla in in four and five, like they're cracking jokes, they're trying to get along with people. They meet uh, Vance. Vance hates them. They're like, hey man, can't we be friends? Like that is often Clem's thing. I feel like Balth is someone who Clem subconsciously kind of hits that wall of oh. You and I are probably never going to get there, huh? Like, we're yeah. we're never going to completely see eye to eye. And the way you two bring that out in that scene, I think, is, like, really spectacular. <laughs> Just as a one-on-one, -on -one, like, dramatic conversation that starts tense and ends tenser, I, I think, yeah. like, knocks it out of the park for me. Yeah, no, that was, yeah. And then, like, getting to hear it back later was, like, really, really cool. Mm -hmm. It was very cool. Um, I don't know, because you feel all these feelings. I don't know. I, I, I feel the feelings. What can I say? I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. And like in the scene and, and then like going back and reflecting on it, it does like spark something internally and does like, you know, and, and it, it was it was really, really cool to, to get to kind of hear. Also, we have like a ton of different takes. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have like a bunch of different takes to, to choose from. So it's cool to kind of see which ones ended up like resonating most with the, the intention behind the script. Because in, in the script, Clem said like at the end of that conversation, Clem says, screw you before leaving. And then you were like, no, nah, I think Clem says, fuck you. <laughs> that that yes. was such a special moment in the recording of like yeah no clem needs to go a little harder on this one yeah yeah no absolutely yeah but clem does not often throw an f bomb mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely um other standout moments from the season i i have a couple others but chris kai other other ones that really stand out to you is like very special moments i can go first um i think I, mean, I think we might be talking about the same scene but like the the scene where both kind of 
turns things around on Clem and they kind of realize like what they're going to decide to do to sort of prove him wrong. I felt Mm -hmm. like was, was something that like was in the script, but was really elevated by the performances and the editing. And like, I felt like it came out really well. Um, so that was a standout moment. I mean, it's a standout moment literally just in the course of the story. It's when Clem makes the big decision of the season. Um, and I think it stood out for like execution reasons as well, but another one that would be like less, I think noticed, but like was standout for me was um, the beginning of the murder mystery on the underwater, you know, the, the, the sort of like science exposition expedition place, the, the editing that you did Jay to, to fill that space and make it feel like a real place we were visiting. That was like, that's the promise of the premise. And that is like what you're hoping you get when you uh, make and then listen to a space mailman podcast is you're hoping that, you get to feel like you're inhabiting these different like places throughout space. And like, I think just like the fact that that was pulled off is like, yes, like that's what the show like should be. It's like, I should feel like I'm in this weird sci-fi location and like meeting these weird scientists. And like, yeah, that, that episode had editing like that, that uh, going into the, into the uh, Nakamura and like meeting everyone, having the party and the music playing in the background there. I was extremely proud of how that came out in the edit. That was, I think the first episode where I started using um, uh, Soundstripe, which we have a moonshot uh, account for, or is that, am I saying the right name of the thing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. I, I have three different databases of sound effects I look at. So I thought I said the wrong one for a second. Um, because the, the the podcast uses sound effects from freesound.org and Soundstripe and from uh, Film Cow, uh, the Charlie the Unicorn guy. He put a couple years ago a bank of every sound effect he's ever made for a YouTube video out for $5 or I think name your own price. I bought that and have been using that. Like the idea is just, uh, I think his rules are as long as you're not using it for like police training or something like that, as long as it's not involved in... Anything like that or anything military related, you are good to use it for whatever. Um, but episode four is where where the Soundstripe stuff really starts getting used. And yeah, the like interior of that ship sounds as good as it does because of that and because we were able to engineer it and really make it sound that way. Um, similarly, like that is one of mine. Similarly, episode six, all of the pizza drag race racing. Uh, that was the most difficult edit in terms of sound effects out of any of them. The the gunfight on uh, on on uh, Balt City is nothing compared to that. Like all of the different <laughs> F one drag race sound effects, I had to fucking find and arrange differently for Clem to race against Ginny to see who can deliver a pizza the fastest. I was you shouldn't have let me get my hands on a script on myself. Listen, you shouldn't, have, shouldn't, have, shouldn't have let me do it. But but listen, that that is one I'm really proud of though. Like that is like that kind of that that whole like big race near the end or kind of both there's two real race sequences in that episode and both of them I feel really proud of because that is the first episode I listened to and had no notes like when I listened to the the edit of it most episodes I'm like oh I forgot to rebalance that person's audio there oh I forgot to add you know, this needs to be adjusted nothing like somehow the process of working that intently with all of those like quick action sound effects created an episode that was perfect from the rough draft and that will always be something yeah. i'm very proud of yeah for sure yeah the world building i, I really enjoy and i've been really excited about the entire time because like you imagine things mm-hmm. you, you imagine things and so it's really really fun to get to to get to hear it and to get to re-experience it in a completely different way yeah that's that's really enjoyable what uh what what other scenes for you kai what else what else comes to you yeah 
I think it's when really getting to be part of Sir Lucia's team, I think that was a really interesting part because, um, yeah, I think, I think getting to, to meet Sir Lucia because Sir Lucia is a very like powerful character and getting to like go back and forth in those scenes because most of the time, like in terms of space, like Clem takes up all the space in a room and this kind of like, this kind of diffuses, like Sir Lucia definitely kind of diffuses some of that. Mm-hmm. and takes away some of that power back. So that was a very different experience getting to perform in those scenes of having that power kind of taken away. That That's another... From, oh, no, sorry. Keep going. I was going to say, from an acting standpoint, is was really, like, very memorable for me. That, that, that's another one that, uh, that... That is a scene just, like, in the writing of it. Uh, episode 9 is a lot of talking, you know, versus, like, a lot of action, but, like, Clem coming in with the, I've got it. Like, I think I, think I have found the thing that will solve this problem that I don't even know if is exactly the problem you have, but I bet it is. Just kind of wandering into being the one person who Strelitzia's plan is suddenly going to pivot and revolve around. Um, I really love how that scene came out. I really loved writing that scene. Because, yeah, like, like to your point, Clem, Clem either is the center of attention or in their own mind they are, kind of, a lot of the time. We're not even the center of attention, but, like, Clem... Yeah. Clem is not always affected by other people in a room, but like that is a space where suddenly they are like, they are intruding in this place that now they are telling themselves they're like committed to helping and working with, but they don't know any of these other people who are in the room watching them do the thing with the theremin, right? In, in that scene, they don't know yeah. any of these people. Um, yeah. Also, uh, you know, like the sort of weirdness of trying to focus on it while there's all these people in the room and like not being able to talk about what they're there for and just being like let me show you the when you kind of take control back in that scene kai the like here can you move like when when clem's like yeah can you move can you let me uh do this with the the theremin that is an incredible delivery from you and from uh lex on strelitzia's end of it because that is like the one point where strelitzia is like frazzled (laughs) like that's the one point where she's like what Excuse me? Huh? <laughs> In the entire yeah. season, basically. It's not hard, guys. Like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's a question that ties into uh, what you're talking about with episode six that we could transition to here. Yeah, shoot. Um, from Jacqueline Swamper, Unwise Girls, Dead Teen House Party. I like to list that Full all name. as one last name. Uh what sort of unique challenges or happy surprises did you find in writing slash performing traditionally visuals based scenes like moments with heavy action? And I will say, yeah, it was definitely tricky because, like, I I will always try to, like, put a Fast and the Furious-inspired racing scene into everything I write, but this was the first time I had to do it where it's like, and you can't see the cars. And, you know, a race is kind of difficult to do when you can't track with your eyes. Uh, I found that out while doing it, but I think that it did end up working, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of the editing. Um but yeah, it was just a matter of like, okay, well, how can I make this like fun? How can I make it like um, not boring when you can't see the things? And also, how can I give like markers for you to understand who is ahead and who is behind? And sometimes it's as simple as just like dialogue, but other times it would be like, I don't know. I think you probably did have to do like specific sound effect work with that as well of like um, the different sort of vehicles and use and whatever else. But yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the, the challenge was obviously trying to make a, a car chase race thing work with just audio. And the way that I found to do that was just to sort of put like amusing details in there in terms of like, 
uh, okay, I've been big bugging Jay about working in, like, the post person's, like, the, you know, the male person's biggest enemy, dogs. Okay, well, then I'll put a bunch of dogs in here. And then the dogs fear what? Okay, they fear vacuum cleaners. So then we do this. And then there's um, ramps, like, in every racing video game, uh-huh. inexplicably. And so I think that that sort of putting those things in can solve the lack of visuals. Chris, something I love about working with you, and this 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 is a side note, and then I'm gonna come back to that question. But you mentioned the dogs thing. Something I love about working with you is that, like, if I'm uh, an opera performance, your Bugs Bunny doing that same performance <laughs> is a gag in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like that is yeah, yeah. Y- y- you you think about like that like oh the fucking dogs thing as a bit that we have to get in somewhere uh, in the season so readily in ways that like this show would not be the same without. And I appreciate so much. And I love working with you so much because of, I just I'm wanted just to shout that out fun. there. Yeah. I'm just looking for fun at all times. Just like yeah. what would be, what would make me laugh here or what would I think was cool or what would I like enjoy if we were to happen next or would happen in this story. And that's kind of how I operate. And, and that episode is the goofiest episode of the season. Yeah. Probably it's, undeniably. It's really, but- it's stupid. It, <laughs> like, it's, it's, really, it's, dumb. it's real dumb, and I love every moment of it. That's another one. Uh, like Ginny John in that episode. That that is uh, Vanessa. Um, Vanessa was another actor who just like came in, sat down, and delivered hundred and ten percent. And Kai, I feel like you and her had like really incredible chemistry in that recording too. Yeah. That that was one of a couple. Uh, and we'll, we can talk about like the technical recording method uh, to come. But like that was one of not very many where it was just, here's two people going through the whole episode. And that's kind of the main brunt of it. It's like both of the one-offs we are able to really do that. The rest of the recordings we did are so segmented in terms of what we kind of recorded in what order across different episodes, just, just by virtue of who was in the same call together when. So that's funny. But to, to the actual question, there were, Chris, that was a really fun one to work with you on because you wrote that out and you, you, it, 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 tell me if I'm wrong, but you don't really listen to audio drama or this kind of show, no. right? At all. I've never, I don't think I've ever listened to an audio drama besides this mm-hmm. one. Right. Yeah. It, it, me neither. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Same kind. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like it, maybe it's just that like, I haven't given it a chance, but like, I don't know. Just like, it, it doesn't immediately appeal to me, I guess. And, and that's, and which is so funny. Cause then, yeah, I remember what, what happened a lot. It was like we would talk about moments in the script and this probably happened in autumn manor too of like, this is great. Remember that this is all audio. Like, like mm-hmm. y- yeah, you, you talk about the sound of someone hitting a jump uh, off a, a parked truck or whatever. And we talk about like, well, is that going to be distinct enough as a sound effect? Da, 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 yes. No. And I think we figured out like points for just the sound effect audio to really carry the action that did the job. I I think we really did get there with it. It's the same thing I fucking struggled with when I was writing the whole monster board chase in the finale and Clem's little, you know, there's a lot of racing in season one of this show between monster boards. Which is funny because it has nothing to do with being a male person. Like there's not a time when you deliver the mail, I don't think. And there's not like, but like, yeah, there's something, I don't know. You know what it might be is it might be like the nature of delivering mail has almost always in our you know time of being part of the world involved a vehicle Mm. and then that just kind of like implies like yeah i don't know like transport speed movement competition i don't know like i think maybe that's what happened there because like you think of like kids on bikes on a paper route or you think of the mail truck or whatever yeah and so then when you're like i don't know or maybe it was just like complete happenstance but it is funny that that worked out that way yeah um yeah i'll say like in general to, to this question like 
challenges with action, so much of it comes down to having someone in the scene talking about the action in a way that um, that kind of fills in those blanks. the The finale is good because it's a lot of it's a lot of Clem reacting to. Uh oh, now this guy's chasing me. Oh, now I'm doing this, and the fact that there is Clem narration over it that we're pivoting back to makes that a lot easier. And and. Kai, the 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 way you go back and forth between acting and scene and doing that VO over the whole season, that is like working with you, one of the things I'm proudest of is how how good I think that got and like just the pivot from this is Clem narrating a scene, this is Clem 80 miles over the ground, not 80 miles over the ground, but a mile over the ground on, you know, a bunch of electrified steel. That was incredible. My crowning achievement of that, though, I think in terms of writing, again, is in episode eight. It's the gunfight at uh, Balth's house because you have the sound effects and people who are in the fight down below and then Clem just telling all of it to Balth while he's doing something else. Like, on a mechanical writing level, that is the perfect way to, like, create that kind of scene where Clem is describing it like if you're an actor on a stage describing things that are happening off stage to someone else who's on stage, quote unquote, on stage, just meaning both being with them up there. Um, and that fills in so many of the blanks that then the rest of get filled in by, uh, you know, Roma's acting and Briar's acting. I haven't even mentioned Briar, who's incredible as Jade North, and uh, Wheels and Max and myself as the other people in town who come in there. Like, it, it is having a bunch of voices in a scene together involved in that action, understanding which ones are directly part of it and which ones aren't and kind of like what roles those different people have. Kai, was it ever hard for you as an actor to be like selling the action of something where literally none of it is happening? Like, cause at least in acting physically, you're sometimes like you're behind the wheel of the car and you're moving the steering wheel or whatever. Like I know that when I've done a little bit of voice acting, I will sometimes have to, be doing something in real life that can help me approximate what it would be like if I was actually doing it. Like I, the one cameo line I have in this season is I'm the person that like hands off a box to Clem. And like, I remember I sat in this seat in my desk and I picked something up from my side in order to like, okay, this is what it'd sound like if I picked something up and handed it. I had, to, I had to go that literal with it to do it. Cause I'm not a very good actor, but like, was it like, was that challenging at all to work in an audio only kind of medium as an actor? I think the biggest thing was just making sure that it was accurate to the sound design that was eventually going to happen with Jay. So anytime I was curious, I would just ask Jay a question. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I have such a freaking wild imagination that that's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I really, it's any moment I get to be chaotic and make weird noises, I'm always down for. So. That's, I don't know, I think that's when I thrive. Yeah. <laughs> Kai, this is your, am I right, this is your first time doing voice acting specifically? Or no? Uh, I've done, like, VO stuff for, like, commercials and stuff right, like okay. that. I've, and I actually did um, an animated series that Chris was part of. Right, was, right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. I completely forgot about the that. The Adventures of Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, I did a lot of voice acting with that, but this is like the first time that I've been like lead, not just like throwing in like stuff like that. So, mm. which was really, which has been really fun and really cool. Um, j just talking about the, the recording experience, uh, Zeddy, Zeddy Teddy, our own Theodore Monk, voice of Balfaro asks uh, for Kai, what scene was the hardest to record and why? Oh, that's a really good question. Let me think for a moment. 
just thinking back through our recordings, I, 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 you know, because I, I don't know how you felt about every single scene, but I feel like this isn't me just trying to shoot myself down. I feel like a lot of times the points where we, we would come into difficulty would be points where I would realize I wrote just the longest sentence on earth to make you say or that kind of thing. And those little moments we'd have to spend a little yeah. time on. That and also sometimes like if I didn't have enough like rehearsal time for myself, I like the, the, the honestly because I'm not a Bostonian. I don't have like a Boston accent. Yeah. So sometimes I would lose it. I'd be like, oh, we got to do it again. Like <laughs> that, like that would come out. So I think that mixed with like the, some of the intense action, I think were, was kind of difficult, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think none of it was like, oh no, you know, like yeah. I, I think a lot of it was uh, nothing too difficult. Um, I think just the biggest thing was, yeah, like really making sure that, cause I would, I would, I would, I would flub my lines a few times and, and especially when we're in group settings, that was always like, Oh my God, I'm wasting everyone's time. <laughs> no, but every, everyone did but that yeah. though. There's so much audio of like, ever like, like some of my favorite, th- th- there's some incredible, uh, blooper reads that I want to like consolidate together and release into something. And everyone's, everyone's sure. in there. No one is exempt. No one is safe in that space. I yeah yeah I have a question actually on that front. Now I can be a listener for a second. Um, like Kai, like did you as an actor did you like working in the format where like you? I mean, I'm assuming the answer is yes. But like, did you like working in the format where people were on calls together to do the scenes together as opposed to everyone recording their dialogue separately? Because I remember that that was something Jay and I talked about when the show was like. Um, getting put together is like we both thought that was the way to go was yeah. to be, to allow the people to actually act against each other and off of each other rather than everyone doing yeah. it separately and turning it in always always if if i have an opportunity and i think that comes from like my meister training everything in acting is reacting right and so um while i am one of those people that i like to work by myself you know what i mean i do prefer being there and getting direction, but also having people's whose energy I can feed off of for sure. So if yeah. there's an opportunity to have as many of the actors there as possible, then let's do it. Um, just cause I think it'll make for a more richer performance. And also us as a team will find not necessarily new things, but we'll find kind of like treasures in the material that we otherwise probably would have not found. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to expand on that for, for listeners. Yeah. How we ended up recording the show was, uh, principal actors, which we refer to as just, you know, major characters, characters who are present for either the entirety of the episode or across multiple episodes, getting a call together are doing those scenes together, usually with video on, not necessarily with everyone, but usually with video on. And, and, you know, that, that even includes, uh, Briar who lives in the UK. Like we were able, we, we, we moved some time zones together, <laughs> moved heaven and earth to, to like get everyone in calls to do that. And then minor characters, uh, were, were a different thing. Like, uh, Max Newland and Wheels Wheeler and, um, a few other people I can, I can review my full list of like people who did minor uh, roles and just like sent in a big audio file of them doing a bunch of them. Like uh, all of wheels characters that they do help McKinney and a bunch of other little ones are just in an hour long recording they made and sent me uh, same for a couple oh other people, same for max, same for um, uh, a couple other folks. But, uh, but yeah, that, 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 that's really interesting to hear that. Cause Kai, I, I think I remember asking you too, like, Hey, I think it makes more sense for everyone to be together whenever possible, even if virtually, does that work better for you? And you were like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. 
I appreciate you also producer brain. You're working with my insane schedule. Oh, oh, that was <laughs> no, listen, that wasn't just you again. That was like, we all had stuff going on. Like, so the, yeah. the, we, maybe we should talk about like the timeline. Once we started like getting the ball rolling. Cause it was, Oh, my God. oh yeah. It, it yeah. was a while. Like, like it, it, in case that inspires anyone out there, that's like, cause I, I mean, I feel like you felt bad about it at times during, the production of the show, Jay, about how long it was taking. Horrible. I kind of yeah. tried, tried as, as you your sort of like your, your helper that. man to just kind of be like, it's all good. Like no one is going to care how long it took when it's out as long as no it's good. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that that was something uh, else that Audrey asked was what the timelines look like for a fiction podcast in general. Um, long in the, in this show's case. So, so, uh, yeah. I first start writing episode one, summer 2020. Chris, you and I are talking about it. I feel like between them and the next, that and the next summer, we get the first like five episodes written. We meet Kai in that time. I meet Kai that, that, you know, the the following spring. Um, We, so by the time it's summer 2021 is when I am writing uh, Return to Sender, I know. Like, and again, the reason a lot of the writing took so long is just that this was at the beginning, like a side spare time project. This was like, I'm poking at this idea. I don't know what it's going to turn into. I'm talking with my friend about it. We're just kind of, you know, just see poking it and seeing how it moves. And so that summer, that summer, 2021, I remember, uh, specifically like working on, I remember writing, uh, Clem's opening speech about Margot while I was traveling and visiting some friends while I, I saw Chris during that trip among other people. And, and so the timeline there, by that fall, uh, we set up a casting call for people. We used a website called castingcall.club to uh, do the casting and find other actors, um, which, Chris, you found Casting Call, right? Do you remember how you I, came across it? I did. I think I saw someone that I was mutuals with as a, that was a voice actor posting about it, and I looked into it. I was like, oh, I think this would be good for our purposes, and I kicked it over to you. And it, yeah, it ended up being exactly that. We found a lot of great, like, way better than I was expecting, honestly. Yeah like actors from that that's how we got briar that's how we got vanessa Jared. that's how we got that's how we got actual like young act like, voice actors like like child voice actors to play the young kids which i thought was such a great for, get like to not have to have Xavier, an adult pretending yeah. to be a kid yeah it was just the thing of like okay we got to figure out how to get like parental permission so they're not just like being on a call with a stranger online and like you know getting in <laughs> trouble but like the fact that we were able to get actual young actors for that, I feel like made it a lot better. And also it was great because then you get to like, because Jay and I went through the, all the casting recordings together on like voice calls and kind of like talked over mm-hmm. our thoughts and whatever. And it was just so fun getting to hear an actual like, you know, 12 to 14 year old say like, let's ramp this bitch and know that the kid could do it. And just like, that's the guy. Like yeah. he gets it. He know he like, he knows how to deliver these lines and stuff, you know, like, uh, yeah. I'm blanking on uh, the performer's name right now, unfortunately, um, but he was great. Yeah, that's Danny Boyd as Bilton and Pie Pi Crosby as Xavier Austin. Um, Pi, yes. ne- okay, neither yes. of whom were in calls with us. Those those were, they did their stuff separately and sent them in, but they were both so nice to work with. Like, you know, I'm ta- I'm like emailing back and forth with a pair of like 13-year-olds, like, <laughs> you know, in business speak, like making sure everything's all above board and, and cool and good. And they were so good to work with. <laughs> they were um, good. I was like, I was like, I could see these people, like, if they want to, like actually being actors when they're yeah. like, older you know it's like, um yeah. another cool thing about using cast and call was that it also introduced us people who maybe uh auditioned for one role didn't get it but we called back later for something but rachel schumacher who voices calico blitz in the finale uh rachel originally auditioned for i think jade north i 
Rachel, if you're listening, I'm so sorry if I got that wrong. But Rachel auditioned for someone else uh, and and didn't end up getting that role. But uh, Calico Blitz was a character who was kind of written after we did a lot of the casting. I was still, I was working on... The show was not done yet when we started casting for it because at that point yeah. I didn't think we would be introducing any new characters in the last two episodes. Calico was a late invention, um, really, in the grand scheme of things. Once we realized that we had never done that casting, I went and looked and went, hi, you know, like, we really liked your audition. We went with someone else for this character. Just hearing your voice, I think you would work really well for this kind of aggro, like, uh, uh, intense sportswoman who we have riding around on, you know, getting NASCAR sponsorships effectively. <laughs> and, and she was awesome to work with. Do it, doing the calls all on video, she had, like, a fully soundproofed cube she was just in that looked incredible yeah. and I was so jealous of. Um, but that was another helpful hop thing the, about it. Hop on the APR Patreon so we can get all, everybody, those uh, nice yeah. little yeah. chambers. But, um, oh my god, oh sorry, I was gonna say the tech issues we ran in <laughs> different microphones. We, we won't go into that, we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's a good point though, because because Kai, this might be interesting to people on the issue of the long timelines. Kai and my wife Felix recorded, had to like redo like a whole episode or so, I think, and I think I might have been one of the audio issues involved because I think that um, we didn't realize yet how thin the walls were in our house here. And, like, I was, like, playing video games or something, yeah. one wall across from where the recording was, and, like, I think I picked up on the recording, among other things, and so you had to redo it. Like Yes. Yeah, the, there there is a decent chunk of audio recorded from Felix uh, that where, yeah, it is audible that you are either playing a video game or watching wrestling. My guess was wrestling, but it could be either one. <laughs> but very faintly in yeah. the background, there are just bits where it comes in and just enough that were coming in while Felix was talking that were just yeah. like really difficult to like isolate and, and rip out. Um, well, that's fine because Clem would probably watch wrestling on the ship while Logan's oh, trying to talk. So Clem loves wrestling. Chris, season two idea. <laughs> Let's wrestling. get to it. Okay. All right. The, that's, gears, that's, the gears are turning. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, it was. Um, and then for mine, it was that I was originally supposed to have access to this studio. And then every time I tried to go, I like did the like door wouldn't open even though i'd like literally put in a reservation and so we'd have to i'd have to like very quickly find another spot yeah and then like i didn't know it but one of my bikes was failing and like it would be a thing or i'd like you know i'd like do a test it'd be fine and then it was actually recording like it wasn't like recording like fully and so i don't know so we ran into a lot of tech issues but i think if anything like thinking about it and after hearing all of the episodes i think that's even better because I knew the character better when we went to re-record, you know sure. what I mean? I know it was really frustrating, but I think if anything, it, it turned out better. Yeah. It was better. No, definitely. Yeah. 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 Like episode one has, yeah, re-recordings we did way later where after you'd done a lot of other work. Um, and e e even yeah. stuff where, um, you know, there would be bits that I would just ask you to record on your own that we had forgotten that are all the stronger just for us having done some other sessions in between then and whenever yeah. we had done the original parts of whatever episode in question. Um, Episode one did feel like we were there forever on the recording front a little bit, just because, yeah, we, we kept finding reasons that we had to go do new things. Not on anyone, just like, oh my god, more things are coming up. There were things on my end. There was, like, lost audio on my end and stuff, too. It, it, was, yeah. it was kind of just a... a, a this is a very uh, involved show to make, and when you're not, like, inherently yeah. a super organized person, 
that can be challenging. <laughs> and that that is definitely something I, I found myself uh, running into, which talking about the timeline, we put that casting call out October 2021 or fall 2021. Uh, didn't do any casting until the following spring. <laughs> and there were reasons for that. Um, that. That was, you know, that was the point in the timeline where if you did follow the Orange Groves, that was where we became Moonshot. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of just moving parts happening behind the scenes for all of us who were involved in the network, which is me and Chris both were. Um, outside of that, I had had some family things going on and just wasn't able to pay the same amount of attention for a while. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, it, it kind of came back around. And so 2022, that whole summer, we're just recording constantly. We're just like scheduling calls whenever we can that spring into summer into fall. Because, you know, again, like, like Kai mentioned, there were times we had to reschedule things. Different people had to, we, we all had like weather try to kill us at different points. Like personal things go on in our lives. This, that, the other thing. Yeah, um, I was doing a bunch of yeah. really cool stuff too. I don't know if you feel like comfortable like sharing any of that, Kaya, but I feel like you like were yeah. were oh, yeah. like, doing like dope shit. Yeah, I was like traveling. I did a cross country trip, and so I was working. I was working in Los Angeles. Um, so I spent part of the year in Los Angeles working here. And I'm in LA right now, and then um, the other part of the year in, in New York, but also in uh, North Carolina. And so. Last summer, I taught a couple classes out in LA, and I was supposed to work on a feature that ended up getting dropped, and so I decided uh, I was going to take a cross-country trip. So, like, we recorded in Portland, Seattle, Montana, <laughs> Iowa, <That's awesome>. <laughs> Chicago, mm-hmm. like, with, like, it, it, that, it truly is a global show because of the number of spots, like, like where the cast is, but also oh, yeah. that summer when we're recording stuff where we're recording. A Don't you just feel spots. a little bit like we're a little bit cooler just hearing Kai talk about on the podcast yes. that we made? It's like, yeah, you know, I live in LA part time and then I was in New York and it's like, I like sat up a little straighter. I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, that thing, you being official makes me feel more official. Yeah, I, Kai's like an act. Kai's I'm a not, real though. actor. I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Like, I'm a professional. Yeah. yeah. Not really. I'm kind of a goofball. <laughs> we're all we're all kind of goofballs here. Um, but yeah, that was the timeline, and then uh, things kind of came together to start finally releasing it in January of this year. It was really like by the time we had things recorded, mostly recorded, because boy, there were a lot of things that I could have had lined up better when before we did start releasing episodes. But um, I when I mentioned earlier the fact that this is kind of the first thing of its scale that I finished, there definitely came a point around the end of last year, start of this year, where I realized we've got to just start releasing these fucking things or I'm going to find excuses not to forever. Um, after having you know, taken everyone's time to record all of them and everything even. Because I just needed that push and I needed the push of it's out. The, you know, the timer has started. We are on the ground running. That was a huge motivator for me to keep doing and keep doing the editing process. Which the editing process, boy, I thought I knew what podcasts were before. Not until this, let me tell you. Like, it is such a different animal to have a, like, my, my, like, audacity layout uh, Reaper freaks don't at me. I'm gonna learn Reaper and drop Audacity for the future. Um, yes, love it. It's it's happening. It's happening. I just didn't want to do it in the middle of making this show. I have like four different main vocal audio tracks, background noise, different type of background noise, letter opener noise. Like I have all these different categories of of things on Audacity that. I, over the course of the season, developed a system for, for laying out and putting into place in ways that made sense. But yeah, once we were past that point, it was really just putting the episodes together, finding the right resources, 
a lot of times realizing, oh shit, there are little bits of audio we never recorded. Fuck. Like, you know, there are bits where, where Kai, I would ask you to record something from episode two that I realized we'd forgotten a year ago, you know? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and it ended up being honestly like great. Like, yeah. it ended up, again, just making it so much more richer. You were a hero about it every time. You were such a champion, just like, yep, got it. Give me, give me two days. I'm on it. Uh. <laughs> it was fun, though, getting to return because there, again, like, I don't know. Usually I'm a person to the, when, when, when directing or when acting, I try to do things in order because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like better for actors. But honestly, like for this, also you as a director, you help so much before we go into a scene because you would talk through that entire history mm-hmm. up until that point. Mm-hmm. Like, please keep doing that because that just made it even like, please. Yeah. No, like it was, it was so great because going into the scene, I would come in with my notes but then also I would have your, of course, your direction of being like, you know, this is what's previously happened. This is this interaction. Mm-hmm. Like, this has already happened in the timeline. It's like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Get right into it. Really. It just made it significantly easier to jump right into it. Yeah. Timeline. Yeah. This, this, this is, this is after Clem's been accused of murder, but before Riser yep. trusts them, they're, they're in the storage room. They're doing this. Yeah. It, it's all, it's all those. Yeah. Little like bam, bam, bam. Here's what we need to know. Hoping that kind of the nugget, those nuggets I'm providing, like fill everything out for everyone, and a scene starts to form around you in your head, right? Like that's that is my own thought process. So I'm glad to hear it works for people other than just my freak brain. No, no, that's I mean that's what that's what you got to do. Yeah. Like that's a thing when you're doing a series, like, and that's unbelievably helpful. It's like it's like yeah, I come in with like my own thoughts, but I haven't really like shared those thoughts too much. And so like going into it and having like oh yeah, riser, that's right, of course, yeah. duh. Yeah. Like, that's going to affect this part of the performance. Like, just, again, makes it even richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I imagine it also helps a lot when you are you are making a show with people where it's not their job. And so you're doing it, like, weeks spread out apart since the last time you recorded. And, like, you can't just, like, live in the characters and the scripts and whatever else. And so like, you do need a little refresher and stuff like that. Absolutely. That helps so much. Yeah. So, yeah. No, never feel bad about that. No, yeah, great. for sure. Um. I, I want to bounce off of that. Um, there's a question that Audrey asked to me and Chris, but I want to expand it to you too, Kai, because the question is what, what, sure. what, what, you know, talking about specific inspirations, you, you know, you and I talked about like, like Clem has that little bit of a Bostonian accent, et cetera. For, yeah. for you, you know, whether it's stuff you and I talked about or you and me and Chris talked about or stuff you kind of figured out independently, what, what are your inspirations for how you approach Clem as a character? That's a really great question. Weirdly enough, there is a lot of, internal overlap i think i do identify with certain parts of clem very much so mm-hmm. clem like I, I it's something immediately was the the analog technology that they were really attracted to and so like the jack like, tapes when they're like reflect yeah the tapes and stuff like it, even as i'm talking about the character i'm, I'm, do, I'm starting to do that <laughs> i don't mean to <laughs> no it's great clem's, um, clem's what how does clem feel about this <laughs> yeah no um i think a lot of it was just like yeah like the thing that really got me and really hooked me was the thing about the their their family, their entire this entire population of people that they're so tied to just disappearing. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's you know, that's my villain origin story. No, but like that's like right there, like right there, that was immediately like that weight that you that like they don't even acknowledge, but is always there was like Okay, mm-hmm. that immediately got me into a headspace. And then going along with that, like how they are constantly putting off this like kind of like fuck you attitude 
towards things, but they actually deep down really care about things. I feel like constantly as a person, as a, as a non-binary person, I feel like I constantly have to do, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's just certain things about the character that are just like borderline autobiographical, but in a very tangential distant way mm-hmm. that it's really nice to be able to perform very openly in a space that I, that's something I really, because you know, like on day to day, you can't just go around being like, man, fuck this. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the F word. Yeah, you're allowed to like, say the F yeah, word. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Okay, okay. So, fun fact about me. I say the F word a lot. This is on Um, the same feed as the podcast where you say the F word. All the time. So true. I want to be respectful, though. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely that. I think starting with the the second we started talking about when, when going through the auditions about just the disappearance and then the distance that they've had, but also yeah. their like love of analog technology. They watch a lot of movies. So they really like like Martin Scorsese. Like I'll literally like watch before going in, I'll literally watch clips from like Goodfellas and stuff oh like that God. before going into a scene. I'm not even kidding. I like, love that. I love that so much. That's so yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think just, that that's definitely I'm just picturing Clem in the scene where they're trying to run away from the helicopter that they think is following them through LA. Um yeah. God, that's that's so good. Yeah, and and that I, I like I I love hearing how it is kind of like autobiographical for you because because Clem's very. Uh, there's another question Audrey has is like characters who you know have a lot of yourself and then Clem's in a lot of ways like through diff- different reasons like you and I don't have like the same life experience but like different things about Clem are very autobiographical for me where it's a lot of. Um, it, it, it's a lot of Clem and there's a lot in here that I'll talk about more as we do more seasons of the show actually. But what I'll kind of say about yeah. it here is that I think there's a lot of Clem that is romanticized towards the idea of being someone who is traveling around to all these different planets and who is disconnected in the way they are. But like at the end of the day, you know, one that does it like that means that they will sometimes leave damage behind when they go to new places, like when Balth calls them out with the whole Margot story, that is like yeah. an impression. And I was like, yeah, uh. yeah. Th- that is a version <laughs> of Clem that Clem left in someone else's mind years ago and doesn't yeah. think about, you know, doesn't think about yeah. until they're confronted with it. That's a real, like I have, I have dealt with that a lot in my own life. Um, and it yeah. manifested really naturally in, um, in, in Clem as a character and so to he- hear the same thing from the person who who is playing Clem is just extremely cool. Yeah, no, I I've never really heard your connection to Clem, mm-hmm. so this is actually really cool for me to hear. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I mean that makes a lot of sense considering you created them. That, 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 that's a huge part of it. It's also just I I am some um I I was a homeschooled only child who grew up in the woods, and so I think I've just always had like a unique relationship to autonomy. Like I have just always been a very self sufficient person since I was like a little kid, Uh, and I think Clem is the same way. Like I I think of Clem as very much that kind of person who's like always been autonomous to the point where they kind of scoff at people who suggest not being, and so then like. I, I think their relationship, for example, to the dragonfly nest in Strelitzia, when they make the decision to come back and help Strelitzia with uh, what she's doing at New Penzance, I think kind of comes from, like, that decision is difficult in the same way that Clem, like, really asking someone for help would be difficult for them, I think. Just because, like, yeah. I th- I think they have a real sense of, I can handle this on my own. 
and they have a real sense of, I don't need to be tied to anyone. And those two things come from the same place. Like those two things Absolutely. come from the same, because for me, like, be, like kind of growing up and becoming an adult and like figuring some of that out for myself in my own life, I found those things are like intrinsically tied together. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I think so as well. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause yeah, it's pretty similarly. Like I grew up very much so like by myself mm. and anytime, like it, I asking for help does not exist in my vocabulary. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not real. Yeah. Figure it out. We're, Scam. We're, we're, you know, like I was gonna say, yeah. we're, we're going to keep making Clem, uh, have to deal with that in new and fun ways. <laughs> As we yes, as we go on, I'm ready. Um, Chris, yeah. I, I I've got other in, in influences for the show that I can talk about, but what what are yours for the episodes you helped write or just feel like you had a big creative role in? Yeah, well, it's funny because like y- you all just like opened your soul to talk about the influence <laughs> from like your actual life and personage, and I'm about to be like, yeah, I like watch stuff and I put that in there, you know. Like, <laughs> I also fun. did that. Yeah, you're fine, please. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I mean, I I had a different role in writing it than like someone who's actually creating it, so I wasn't so much like creating the like deep characters as I much as I got to just kind of play around uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of it. Um, I talked about my specific influences a lot in my commentaries on the Patreon. So if you're enjoying this kind of behind the scenes thing, um, I would suggest checking out the Patreon so you can read the commentaries because both um, Jay's, Jay's are really good. I actually make Jay send them to me just so I can read them. Like, I owe you, I owe you one of those actually. Remind me later oh, to send nice. you the episode nine one. <laughs> Um, and I had a lot of fun writing mine because I like went, I love like process stuff and behind the scenes stuff. So I just like went hard on my commentaries. Like, I'm including everything I could possibly think someone would want to know about like what I did and was thinking during this, whatever. So I did talk about some specific influences. I'm going to not hit them in as quite as depth here because um, we're all, we've all talked quite a bit already. One of the big ones was um, I was. I had, I think I had just finished watching Bleach for the first time, um, <laughs> like shortly before we started writing. Before Jay and I co-created Vance Tar, who is my favorite character in the show, by the way. Um, and uh, I, I imagined his like voice in in my like heart as like being very similar to Uryu from from Bleach. Oh, like, I can see sort it. Sort of stuck up, sort of like. I know the best way to do everything. Everyone else is, like, kind of beneath me. Like, that sort of thing. Um, so that was, I think, the biggest one of, like, that you could actually, like, pinpoint and see. Um, and also the fact that I brought in my obvious love of, like, the Fast and the Furious and and then things because of that, like, the Need for Speed Underground games and stuff like that into the the whole concept of the racing episode and the, the way that it plays out with, like, ramps and obstacles and whatever else. Like, that sort of stuff came from that. Mm-hmm. Um... I know that, like, it wasn't really, like, front of mind, but I think that part of the way that I viewed Clem, the way that Clem behaves as a character, I kind of thought of as similar to Peter Parker in the way that, like, Clem, I think, is a nervous talker. Yeah. And, like, and just kind of spews at the mouth, you know? And I think there's some similarities there. I also can... Actually, that's one part that I can relate to personally. I also kind of just spew at the mouth and and just kind of babble when I'm nervous. So so, so do I. That's another way Clem is based on me, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. (laughs) And and there's just, like, some really, really small stuff in there, too. Like, um, I based... Miriam Autumn on my friend Taylor's impression of Meryl Streep. Um, oh yes, my God. <laughs> yeah, and you and I, you and I talked too about how we both think about her as a 
uh, Meryl Streep in the movie Let Them All Talk, the the 2020 yes. movie. Yeah, um, I know there's a question about dream castings, like live action casting, and I'm glad that I like we've talked about this here because I would have forgotten it. But no, Miriam Autumn would absolutely have to be Meryl Streep, essentially playing a parody of herself. Like, yeah, like, oh it would it would be Meryl Streep on Overdrive would be Miriam Autumn for sure. Absolutely. Okay, can we can we jump real quick into this because I want to go into absolutely, this. Yeah. absolutely. You, Let's do it. If you ever did a live action, I would I would fight so hard to play Clem in the live. Well, action. yeah, you of well, course, you like, of course, yes. I I don't know. I feel like I I feel like I got the look. You know what I mean? You do. Like I feel like <laughs> you you, you like, do. I I I would like work out for months. I would get in top tier shape. <laughs> I would do all my own stunts. I'm not even kidding. Like, well, hold on. I would go. You don't understand how hard I would fight to play. Clem. If, you, if you think Clem works out, we gotta talk. Maybe you don't understand the character. After. No, but like I, I they know. like the shit that they put their body through. Yeah. Like as as an actor, you, you know. Like I don't know. Yeah. I just I want this to be live action so badly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the so real bad. yeah, the, the like uh answer over all of all of our our answers for this question of who would play who in an HBO live action series of this is like we love all our actors and all of our actors deserve to be on TV so all of them. But barring that, yeah, who who, who yeah. would be who? Um I have two like yeah. weird out there thoughts for Vance. Like, I also have one for Vance. Please hit me with yours first. My ideas for Vance are one, Max Greenfield from New Girl, Schmidt, I think okay. would be a hilarious Vance Tar. Yes. Um, but then also in a completely different direction, I would be really interested to see what Lakeith Stanfield would do as Vance Tar. Oh, I love I love Chris. I love <laughs> you know I love Lakeith. That's so good. <laughs> He's one of my favorites, yeah. I, I, I was kind of similarly, I, I was thinking about uh, William Jackson Harper, who is uh, Chidi on The Good Place, who is oh, like oh, a, a, a very great, yeah. like similar kind of just like, yeah. <sighs> let me explain a thing I read in a book three years ago that you'll never read. Just like yeah. that same yeah. kind of like put upon book smart guy, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a great call. Yeah. I'm trying to think about characters. God. I'm, I'm like looking up people in IMDb. I want yeah. Sandra O. Okay. Oh. It doesn't matter who she plays. I just want Sandra O. Oh. Okay. I want that too. Sandra O. Oh Estralitzia. Oh. Let's do this. I could see it. I could see it for sure. Um, I'm trying to think who could play who 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 play Alder. I'm like struggling. That's that's a hard one because he's got to be like boyish, but also yeah. like he's he's been through some shit. Like I would. I which would why. I would try to save Tom Holland's career. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was thinking Tom Holland too. I, I was like, that. Tom Holland would be very good because Tom Holland can play some tough characters. Sure, yeah. like Th- there's yeah, I think I think he would be good. That, that's really good. I'm also thinking about like there's I, there's a couple actors in my head who are like, if they were l- like. No, yeah, you can still do that. Them, like, a decade or two younger. Like, them a little younger. Like, uh, Michael Mando, who plays Nacho on Better Call Saul, uh, I think would be... He's also uh, Voss in Far Cry 3, uh, the video game, for those who have played that. He's fabulous, and I feel like if you get him a little younger and a little more spry, I feel like he could do that. Even though he's very, like, a menacing guy in a lot of the stuff he's in, he has, like, a lot of charm and funny little bits of wit to him when he's given the opportunity to... Um, alternatively, I could also see him as Caster Montebello, who, who is just yeah. intimidating and then get, gets murdered. That might be the better call. Saul. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I just watched Succession not too long ago, so I'm trying to think what Succession actors oh, would be in there as who. Dude, and that's Sarah's just an endless oh, spiral. Do you know? Sarah, Sarah Snook would crush as Jenny John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. What is Sarah Snook as Jenny John? I was, I was going to say Sarah Snook as, Stril- yeah. as another Strelitzia option. I, yeah, yeah. We need we need Kieran Culkin as something. Yes, obviously. Kieran Culkin amazing. has got... He's amazing. Kieran Culkin's got Clem energy. Like, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> you yeah, know? No, you yeah. know? I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. The studios are like, we need... The one the one uh, awful studio thing we're doing is we want a more mask-presenting Clem. And and, yeah. and that's that's who we get. If if you had to go okay. that evil, evil direction, then the way you do it is the Kieran Culkin, I think. I think no, so. No, hold yeah. on. We, we specifically write a part. We change the story. We add a new thing for season two where Clem has a, like, genetic clone that, like, got, like, like the, the, the gender code went different. And then, like, yeah, just Kieran yeah. Culkin plays clones, uh, Clem's clone. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, or, like, yeah, because we haven't gone in much into, into Clem's family life. So I could definitely True. see Clem having a brother. I, I would like the voice of Doga to be played by Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> that, that, that's <laughs> high flying, but I just think it would be fun. Yeah, why yeah. not? Uh, yes. The weird, it, it's funny because she's such a minor character, but because I'm on the podcast and being asked, like I'm thinking about characters that I kind of wrote. And another one I'm thinking for Ginny John, that's a weird one, but I really think could work, Emma Stone. Yeah, I think yeah. she could do it. I think yeah. that it'd be different than what she usually gets to do, but I think she could do it. I think she'd have fun with it, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But what a fun character to play, for sure. Anna Taylor-Joy could also do that really good, I feel like. Ooh, yeah. If we're just going full That'd movie acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I re- I just saw Barbie, so I feel like, speaking of, um, oh. Kate McKinnon as Clem. Kate, yeah. Kate McKinnon as Clem or as Mel Bennings or as yes. like there's a lot you could do with Kate McKinnon. Uh, Kate, I know Romo yeah. would be really pleased if Kate McKinnon played Gil Hargrave. Oh fuck. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> talked about who would play Gil Hargrave. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of a yeah. spot for Kendall Roy, and I think maybe Marcus. I think I think I Ken, think yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Strong could do Marcus. One and done. I, I love think that's Jeremy it. Strong. Yeah. Me too. All right, so okay. we do we okay. So new goal for the show we have <laughs> we have to get a live action. We have to get a yep, live yeah. action. Yep, the Moonshot Podcast Network is now the Moonshot uh, Netflix Network. <laughs> we're getting yeah. on dropout, and we're we're making it happen. Um, oh, while we're doing casting, there is a question here. Who is your dream VA to have on the show in the future? Which is an adjacent question, but different. Yeah, so so that actually ties back to talking about influences, because I did want to shout out um, other audio dramas I kind of listened to while I, while we were working on this a lot. Summer 2020, I was listening to The Penumbra, a show that's now in its final season. It's just started its final season of... Um, it has two different stories, different podcasts in it basically uh juno steel and second citadel um and that is a show that much like this show is like a full cast audio designed scenes audio drama kind of like apr and was a huge influence for me in uh realizing i could do that noah symes on the penumbra everyone's good on the penumbra there's a lot of fab uh marge dunn who plays a um who is an adult woman who plays a like 13 year old girl in one of the seasons of that show. And then they uh, time skip forward a few years and her interpretation of what that character sounds like then at like, I I think it's like, like 12 and 17 or 13 and 17, like incredibly incredible age up shift. She does that really impresses me. Um, uh, Noah Symes on Penumbra. I want to give a shout out. He plays, uh, 
a Peter Nereev, who is a like sort of swashbuckling, nefarious, world-class criminal in Juno Steel, and then in Second Citadel, he plays a seven-foot-tall talking lizard man. Just incredible range between the two. That's just talking about other audio drama people. I don't know. You want me to cast like 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 movie actors? Like what? <laughs> who who else? Because the mean, thing I is, think, if, if, I think... if I if I shout out other like audio drama actors, there's people who like we could end up casting. So I don't want to be like weird about that. You know, it's just fun. I just love, love pretend casting. Yes, sure. Yeah. Like I was trying to think of yeah. like a uh, pie in the sky voice actor. Like, okay, so Billy West can come in and play whoever, uh, yeah. Fry from Futurama. Um, oh my like, God. In terms of, in terms of actually yes. like something like, um, that's like a dream, but still like in the realm of like attainable because they're like a, 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 podcast sort of you know voice actor mm-hmm. um everyone from the podcast dungeons and daddies would be a dream for me but especially beth may because she's the one that actually is like interested in acting um i think would be an amazing get yeah i don't know this is the part where i am uh having more trouble because i don't listen to audio dramas we've got some funny ones in here we can do real quick lex uh voice of strelitzia asks which person real or fictional do you think would be surprisingly good at monster boarding kieran culkin <laughs> yeah <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. I'm going to say because he was mentioned in another question and because it would be annoying, Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, hold on. Let me find that other question. Yeah. 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 Theo asked what character would crit or no. Was it Theo? Yeah. Which, which, which role, role did Chris Pratt's agent somehow get him in the live action? Adaptation? I, I saw Chris as in you and got them confused between questions. Oh, yeah. Um, Chris Pratt would play Judah Blitz, a character who has no lines. <laughs> <laughs> final answer <laughs> no hate mm-hmm. no hate on chris pratt but hate on chris pratt yeah. that's all i'm gonna say who would vera lore asked who would be most likely to win in a fist fight with a tank uh i feel like that's gotta be vladislav vladislav volkov just sounds large love vladislav yeah love vladislav yeah absolutely my my thought on that is actually just clem because it would hurt and Clem would probably break their hand and, and, and cry a lot. But like Clem just gets shit done. Yeah. You know, one way or another. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Strelitzia would have an incredible plan to like, like lay out a system of extremely intricate traps the night beforehand to ensnare the tank and stop it from getting anywhere near her. Clem would just punch it and it would work just as well. Yeah. Yeah. Man, they would they they would have to keep punching for a little bit, but they would yeah. it would get done. F- yeah. It would get done. A few punches. Eventually, Vance would begrudgingly come help. You know. Yeah. There's there's a question here that I I think there might be a word missing, so I'm gonna do what I interpret the question to be, which is who would try to down a full bottle of ghost pepper hot sauce, and who would actually be able to do it if they tried. My answer for who well. would try to do it <laughs> is uh, Alder, and who would actually be able to do it is Strelitzia. Yeah. <laughs> Clem would too. Clem Clem, I think would like do i think clem would actually down the whole thing i think clem would down the whole thing but would get very sick immediately and it would all come right back up if they were drunk and it was a dare yeah they have the determination to do it i think absolutely yeah but they would definitely throw it up and be like why did i do that (laughs) doga get me an elixir like yeah Sorry, I really like the idea that Doga has elixirs on tap. <laughs> just that's a great word for things Doga yeah, would yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to make sure that winds up in a script. I, I think Gil Hargrave would also. Like, I feel like Gil Hargrave run like like has a hot sauce business. That's another thing they do that hasn't come up yet or something. Like they just make hot sauce in their backyard, like it's moonshine. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of these people have very rich lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's what we want in a show like this. That, that, that yeah. means we succeeded. Ginny and Clem would do it if the other one did it first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they would They would be like edging, like egging each other on the entire time yeah. so hard. Yeah. What would happen if a Silverleaf courier ate one of their packages? Uh, I messaged Theo about this shortly before we started recording. I have been thinking about it ever since reading it, because that's a fascinating question. Tune into Additional Postage Required Season 2. Who knows? We might use that idea. <laughs> that's a little behind-the-scenes real uh, thinking in action right there. Yeah, that's good. What characters did you and Chris have the most fun writing? I feel like we've talked a yes. lot about that. Chris, I, you, you talked about um, how you and I came up with Vance together. Vance was an yeah. idea, like, I knew I wanted Clem to have, like, uh, uh, the word is deuteragonist, you know, like, the, the anime rival, like, that kind of, like, counterpart who you run into each other, you are friends, enemies, sort of whatever. I knew I wanted them to have one of those, and I kind of had the idea that it would be someone who is, like, much more uh, rule-abiding, a little more buttoned-up, like, you know, the kind of person who looks down on people in in ways Clem never would or would never, like, admit to. Like, very different vibe of person in that way. And Chris, you and I, I feel like, developed that so well together with Vance. And I, I had a lot of fun writing him with you. Well, we, for that script, we were like writing a block of it and then passing it to the other one. And then the other person would write yeah. the next few paragraphs, basically like chunk by chunk kind of. Yeah. And I had a good time. And I selfishly that. was like, can I please have the beginning and the end and some parts <laughs> of the middle? Like I, I really was excited about, I was jazzed about that, that story. Um, but my, yeah, my, my, if, if the question, if I, picked, if I pick one, which character did I have the most fun writing? It would be Vance. And then the runners up would be, Jenny John, Doga, and Miriam Autumn. Those were mm -hmm. my favorites. Um, I also really liked writing... I really liked writing Mel Bennings. Uh, Mel Bennings is loosely inspired by a fun. librarian I knew as a teenager. Not in terms nice. of the murdering somebody part, but just uh, I, when I was a teenager, I went to a library that had like a teen center that would do like teen group nights and stuff like that and was run by a librarian. Shout out to Frida Toth, uh, who just like had this level of enthusiasm for things that, I, I you know, reminds me of Clem and reminds me of Mel, but that like the way she talks to Clem just about fish, you know, about, about whatever is very much just inspired by this person I knew who would do that as a way to engage with kids who were coming into the library to just like, you know, play Maple Story on the library computers or whatever. So that's a huge one. And also Strelitzia. At the end of the day, I love writing a rousing speech and Strelitzia is made of rousing speeches. She is constructed physically out of them. We talked about other audio dramas that served as the base for this delicious soup, as Theo writes. Um, I think I shouted out everyone that was important at the time. Really, Penumbra was the one that gave me a kick in the ass in terms of, like, scope and detail of, like, scene construction around all audio formats. And so that was really, like, uh, Ars Paradoxica and Night Vale started that, but really Penumbra was the one that really kind of pushed me over the edge head cannons for the show that will never be made explicit in canon no everything's on the table baby <laughs> i feel like i do but mostly because as we're going to answer another question there are no canon appearances for the characters mm -hmm. um so like my head cannons have to do with like the way that people dress or yeah. like whatever like like i picture vance in a reservoir dogs black and white suit with the tie at all times like that's how i see the character 
and but like you know the the nature of the audio medium part of the fun is that people can imagine them looking however they want and they can draw fan art however they want and like i don't think any of us are interested in taking that away by saying no they actually look like this so like i think yeah. a lot of my, oh my god go ahead I was to say the fan art is incredible. Yeah, yeah, really cool. <laughs> yeah, there there has been some, and it's been really cool to see that. Yeah, um, the, the talking about the canon appearances thing, that was an intentional decision on, on my end. I I kind of feel like, and again, I I also have like images for characters in my head. Like when I think of Clem, I think that is a small, wiry person with big hair and big jackets. That is like what I picture when I picture Clem. I picture earth tones, a lot of greens and browns and like burgundies and stuff. There are things in aesthetics that I picture for a lot of characters. Um, I, I think the exact same outfit, Chris, you just said for Vance. Um, you know, Gil Hargrave is just like a combination between a real cowboy and like a bedazzled cowboy you'd see at a, a, a themed... Uh, like a themed club or something a little bit. But the decision to not like really think about canon appearances is really just that because this is an audio medium, you're going to picture people how you're going to picture people. And I would kind of just let you like rather let you do that. Like I also have, I also think canon isn't a real word in a lot of ways. I think if it's not literally part of the story that you are hearing and saying like, if, if a person at a Comic-Con panel announces that a character in a show that ended was actually gay the whole time, and so there's gay representation, that's, that's not canon. You can decide if that's canon for you or not. You know, like, that's as canon as people writing fanfiction is. No more, no less. And that's not as a put-down against people who are writing fanfiction. Because if it matters to you, it's canon for you. Like, canon is an extremely subjective thing. What you get out of any media you love is so your own thing, and I think that should reflect on characters and how you project onto the characters you see and what you sort of imagine them to be like in the white space that isn't explicitly stated in whatever media it is. I, I think it's important to leave those spaces. And so that listener, that's up to you. <laughs> yeah. On the, on the head cannons for the characters and show that will never be made explicit in the canon. I am curious, Kai, if you have any of that for Clem, like if you've, cause I know that uh, in my experience working with actors and other things, they'll sometimes make up, elements of backstory or or situational stuff that is nowhere in the script and never will be but is still part of their acting technique um so i was curious yeah. if you did any of that for clem absolutely uh like the whole thing i said about earlier of watching goodfellas and stuff like that um i think the thing with clem is that they've got short-term memory and so I do think, which for an actor, that makes everything great <laughs> and much easier. But it is very fortunately part of the part of the character. And I think that, like, I definitely think that Clem has seen some shit. And that's something that we kind of talked about, Jay. But, like, I definitely think that they've seen some, like, shit. And they're just like, well, like, not much I can do about it. I got to keep moving forward. And I think that's a big reason why they went into went into mail delivery. Yeah, no, that, um, that's extremely, yeah. Um, another influence yeah. I had in writing the show was the anime Trigun, a show I really love. Big influence in a couple ways, one of which is it's a sci-fi space western and is a, you know, show about humanity stretching out to the stars, but not every planet is like a gleaming future metropolis. It's, here's like the American West, but they ride on crazy fucking alien chickens, basically. It's that kind of space, which is a setting I really liked a lot and want to emulate in APR, which is how you get places like Last Vestige. But the other part of that is that Vash, the main character in that show, has that same kind of thing where, uh, as you learn through watching that show, he is... 
he is upfront, like the most over the top goofball, like the kind of guy who like, you know, tries to get with every beautiful woman he sees, but he has the brain of a dog. And so he wouldn't know, you know, it's the roadrunner wouldn't know what to do with Wiley e. Coyote. If, if he caught him type of thing, um, loves to yeah. like play with kids, tells jokes constantly, like big prankster, but is also the most skilled gunman you've ever seen and has been through degrees of trauma that you could not possibly imagine. And like the yeah. relationship between those two things, Cle I don't think Clem has been to that through that level of severity, but like that kind of relationship between parts of yourself is something that I think yeah. really came into Clem as a character. And we will continue to explore that in the future. Yeah. 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 For sure. Also, they don't know much about much about themselves. So it's always interesting. Cause it's like, I, I got this like whole like bio for them, but mm -hmm. like, they are unaware of like why they're cracking jokes. But yep. a big thing for me when they crack jokes is because that's to some extent a defense mechanism. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you mentioned um, some of the Trigun uh, locations inspiring Last Vestige. There was a question that we got about inspiration. I think it was from Lex about inspirations um, for particular locations throughout yeah. the season. And I can quickly say, I think for... The Autumn Manor, I think I was kind of picturing something like the Resident Evil Mansion crossed with Luigi's uh -huh. Mansion. Kind of those kind <laughs> of feelings. And then um, for the town in... I wrote about this in the commentary on Patreon, but the town that Freaky Fast takes place in is based on the town from the like PlayStation 1 Mega Man... Was it Mega Man Legends, I think, game that I played as a kid? Um, there's a Mega Man town that I picture that town looking. D didn't similar. you name it after it? Am I right in remembering that? I named it, I named it after that game's version of Mega Man's first name. Like, his name is Volnut, so I gave that name to the town, yeah. Mega Man's full legal Christian name is Volnut Mega Man? What a, yeah, strange, <laughs> strange decision, but What's hey. How, you know, I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog's word. first name is Maurice, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of that shit that's like, why is this here? Um, Fiction's I, stupid. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, because I, I think uh, probably part of why Lex asked it is that I have a, a, a big answer for New Penzance um, that they and I talked about a lot when they were, like, learning about Strelitzia and we were talking about that role. So New Penzance is very much based on uh like tourist economy areas i grew up around and still live around uh i live in upstate new york in an area where i grew up on like a lakeside village that pretty much gets like tens of thousands of tourists every summer coming to an extremely physically small area clogging up the streets like, like this, this is gonna make them sound like a plague but like you know like it transforms in the summer where it's just crowds of people everywhere in a tiny village like in a village that is like four blocks long along some water and then it's a road going up a lake similarly i grew up by a uh, city that has a long history of having a horse racing track uh that i have really complicated feelings about and similarly track season ruins that town for everyone who lives in it and when i was thinking about what new penzance's deal would be i realized i should like kind of emulate those real experiences i have with those kinds of places and the ways that tourist economies kind of ruin the lives of people who just want to have a place like uh, having a seasonal business that serves a million people who are going to trash your town and then leave for three months a year becomes your culture and that's fucked up yeah. is a thing i think <laughs> and and that is something me and lex really connected with because because i'm uh, I, they are they they I think are either from or have spent time in in similar areas a lot in their own life. We talked a lot about that when talking about Strelitzia and kind of what her own background is. I can't I can't believe I almost let you get, like not talk about that on this podcast. I That's know such a huge part of the season and and yeah. um 
I think you probably talked about it on the Patreon commentaries at some point, but like Penzance, New Penzance was totally different at first. And it was a more generic sort of just like, this is a place that you'd see in fiction thing. And then like, we somehow got into a conversation about your actual like town and the place you grew up. And like, we kind of mm-hmm. just settled like, that's what this should be about. And like, I think yeah. that was the, the most, I think that was honestly the best and most important decision made all season was, was, was shifting towards that. It really enriches the whole thing. Like um, that's what makes it feel so, it just it just upped the game of the show so far. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That felt very, very authentic. And that is something that will continue to plague United States infrastructures, but worldwide infrastructures for a very long time. And yeah. I think it's something that a lot of people a lot of people experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, being yeah. in LA. It's yeah, it's sure. what made it's what took APR from being like uh you know, just a sci fi thing that like any person who's engaged with sci fi could have written to like the big thrust of the story is something that only like Jay Petrican should have could have written from being a person who like did journalism in this weird location and had all these like strange yeah. sort of occurrences going on around that. Like it's very a story that like could could only have come from someone who had those um, you know, luck or unluck of the draws that you did. Yeah, yeah, th- absolutely. That that's imp- that's an important bit to bring up. Yeah, it's not just that I grew up in that area. I I work in that area and have in my day job for the last several years. Like, been very involved in talking to the people who are parts of that economy through COVID. I watched how one weird summer nearly like ruined a lot of those businesses that rely so much on that few months a year. Anyway, yeah, that that's that's my whole manifesto. Strelitzia, by that same virtue, really like became a voice box for a lot of those feelings and. uh yeah, that that is probably the most distinct uh, location. Last Vestige was the half salt, half sand image was kind of the most distinct part of it. Otherwise, it was really just, I'm writing a town from Trigun. I'm not going to lie, there was definitely some of that for that one. The Nakamura Space Station on, on Skillo was really just, I need an isolated location, and I think an unusual ocean is a like good place to said it like that that there wasn't really a lot of inspiration there it was really just that sounds fun that was a really cool one i, I love that location it reminded me of camino from star yeah. wars yeah the, the constant rain right yeah uh the last couple questions <laughs> audrey also asks why do you think everyone is so hot and bothered for strelitzia <laughs> i we should we should have asked lex to answer this but i i think i think the real answer is that uh strelitzia is a character who like operates on charisma right like strelitzia and and there there are points where you think well is this really true are they secretly doing something else no like it's the people who follow her really believe in her and it is based on charisma alone and talking again about working with lex lex really got that and understood kind of like the balance of um like commanding and not alluring but like soothing and maybe even like Strelitzia is like commanding in a way that is somehow comforting to people I feel like and that is something that I think hit a lot of the audience as well as I think I needed it to hit Clem as a character yeah I think that all of us are kind of looking for like the hope that like someone smarter is figuring things out so that you don't have to worry about everything and like that's kind of Strelitzia's thing especially for someone like Clem is like I have this stuff figured out I'm making moves I just need you to help me or be part of it and it's like okay well that sounds good yeah not not meaning to get into Freudian shit, but I mean something too is like Strelitzia Lex, maternal figure, very much so this like maternal figure. And I think a lot of these people did not grow up with the traditional family and yearn for some sort of maternal figure as well. That's kind of how I played it. Yeah. In yeah. the scenes. Uh, 
in the scenes with Strelitzia. And I think another thing as well is thinking about um, how how they take up space. Like, that's the thing is all these people, because they, like, run their own lives. It's really nice to be able to relinquish some of this responsibility onto someone who wants that responsibility. So I think that they fulfill needs of these people that makes them very quickly trust, like, very quickly trust. trust Kai's yeah. answer rattled me for a second because I... I guess I, I guess I'm not entirely sure, but I was taking it as uh, Audrey asking why does everyone why do you think everyone in the listenership is so hot and bothered for Stilicia? Uh, and kind of no, like that, that's... well they grew up without mothers. I was like what? <laughs> that, no, that, that is definitely I... what Audrey's question was. But I really like Kai's answer talking about characters in no, the show. I, I and... think it makes sense. I think it fits for that as well. Like I think that like yeah. um, Alder does strike me as someone who is looking for a sort of maternal figure as well, and Clem and like I think that, that motherfucker's orphaned. As fuck. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everyone listening to this podcast doesn't have parents. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just making bi- making big assumptions, but I think I'm onto something. No, yeah, for, for sure. And and I'll say, you know, to a little bit tease for season two. That is something we're talking about. Something I've been thinking about a lot in regards to what season two is kind of gonna. Something I want to visit a lot in season two, which is like. Who are the other couriers who survived the disappearance of Hearth Oak Station? Like, we were talking earlier about how this season isn't about Clem in a lot of ways. It's not about Hearth Oak Station, either. It's not about the disappearance of the Silverleafs. What are those other Silverleafs like? What What is your life like to lead you to want to do this, right? And, like, one day you'll learn what the answer is for Clem. Maybe you'll learn what it is for Vance, you know, and, and, and Balth and whoever. But, like... That is a type of, like, those circumstances are really interesting to be thinking about, and it's something I think we're going to be thinking about and exploring a lot more uh, in the future. I literally just, like, Jimmy Neutron point blasted why you said that, what I think the answer is to that for Vance. Yeah, oh, cool. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. (laughs) Don't say anything. (laughs) Because I don't know for Vance, so if you do, I am all ears. I think Um, think I'm on to something. Uh, the last question we had that I do want to shout out real quick is Audrey asked if you could do a crossover episode with another fiction podcast, what pod would you pick and why? I do want to shout that out because uh, I have been talking to uh, the creators of a show called The Night Post uh, that I want to shout out. Like additional posts is required. The Night Post is a supernatural audio drama podcast about people delivering mail. Like additional posts is required. The Night Post uh, was first come up with during COVID. Like The Night Post, uh, additional posts is required has a main character in it named Clem. <laughs> These are two podcasts that have a lot of uh, really funny similarities that the creators of approached me shortly after we started releasing episodes just to kind of say, hey, that's funny. And I was like, yeah, it is funny. There, one of them is also a voice of a character on Wobegon, which is an audio drama I like a lot. They're, they're, they're good people over there. So not saying we're going to do a crossover with them, but shout out to a show that's a lot like ours in some ways that you might like if you like ours. It would be cool. It, it, would. it gets yeah. my it gets my gears going as a I, writer. It's like, okay, well, how would you do that? What would that look like? Like, you know, yeah, yeah. I love crossovers. Oh my god, I'm down. Like, I'm so Hell yeah. down. <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. Closing thoughts on additional posts required season one. Does does anyone have? Because I I have a little like ending spiel I can do, but like, if either of y'all have any other like closing thoughts you want to get out before we sort of wrap this thing up and uh, get ready for what's next. I'll do mine really short and sweet. It was a, a blast to work on. So glad to have been a part of it. So glad it exists and bring on season two. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, very thankful to very thankful to be part of such an incredible team of people. This has been some of the most fun I've ever had working on a, on a production. And I'm very thankful for that. And 
the brilliant writing. And I just, I literally cannot wait until we move into season two to continue to collaborate with such brilliant, kind, wonderful, wonderful performers. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, I, this has been a long, (laughs) like I said earlier, this show has been the hardest I think I've ever worked on anything in my life. And I'm not just hyperbolizing. I really mean that. And the fact that it came out is like incredibly intensely special to me. I, I like thank you to, to Kai and thank you to everyone in the cast who worked with me as I learned how to, you know, direct this kind of thing. And like all, all and, and thank you to Chris for being so patient with, with me with every time I would just use you as a sounding board, you know, like having someone to talk to like that, this show would not have happened without, um, it's really special to me that this is something I can show people and say that I got to do with people. Like I have family members who have listened to this. I have people in my friends who I haven't heard from in years who have listened to this show and have talked to me about it. I am humbled forever by the people who were part of this show. Like, Chris and Kai and everyone else who did a voice in the show from, from little one-offs to major characters. Um, everyone who is part of this show created this show, you know, like no, none of this would happen without all of us. And I could not have been happier or more blessed and more humbled with the people I got to work with and that we got to work with over the course of making this. Um, I hope season two will take less than three years to make. <laughs> it, it definitely <laughs> it will. will. I it, I have it, it so will. much like energy to pour into this now. And now that we've done it once, I just feel like, I feel like I know what I'm doing, which is a cool, fun thing to feel. And so I'm really excited yeah. to get back yeah. to it. Like, I really mean it when I, when I said earlier that like finishing editing the finale, I was just like, I want to start working on season two right the fuck now. Uh, and we have like, like Chris and I have like a, like the first few pages, a draft of a first few pages written for season two. And we've been throwing around some other ideas for we, that. For, we've you know, been having some, for, we've been having some very, very interesting ideas and conversations about season two that I think, I've, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited. fucking I'm excited, excited to write season two. My, my favorite part, <laughs> I, I think the show, if it, just based on the conversations we've had so far, I think the show is going to take a very big, interesting jump in terms of like the kind of show that it is. Um, yeah. And also, um, I'm excited to get back to my favorite part of the additional post is required process, which is Jay and I just sending each other dumb character names. That's literally my favorite <laughs> part of the whole thing. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so, so at the end here, I do want to shout out if you're listening and you uh, have either supported us on patreon one if you have thank you so much uh two if you have or haven't and you thought about it i want to talk about that just because obviously we are we are entering the off season we've entered the off season uh over a month ago now um if you want to pause your uh donations on patreon that's totally understandable and fine i think some people have already made a decision one way or another to do that but on patreon in the off season here we are going to keep putting some stuff out while we're working on what's next I have one more commentary I owe people, which I think will come out the Monday or the, yeah, the Monday after this comes out. I am going to be releasing the botched uh, first version of the episode two script. I want to do some blooper reel stuff. I'm not making promises on that only because there's a lot of stuff I haven't bit. There's a lot of like combing through work I want to do, but there's going to be some degree of outtakes that I want to do at some point. And uh, Chris and I have talked about like maybe doing a couple little one-off side story, short story type things like, about characters and settings that maybe wouldn't uh, 
be a whole episode, but that we're kind of almost treating like fan fiction. I think at least the one I've been writing is where it's like, here's just a couple of characters interacting in a context. You might not ever see them interact in the show proper, but we just thought it would be fun to do. That is the kind of thing you can expect to see at least a little bit of there. Like at least something once a month while we are working on what's really next for APR. That's amazing. That's, that's super exciting. Yeah. And that's, uh, I don't know. That's, that's that. Yeah. Chris, what's up? One other thing I one other thing I want to tease for season two, and I don't know if it'll happen this season, but one thing we've talked about a lot over the years this show's been developing is that, you know, we happen to have a lead who's also a writer, so we could see an episode penned by uh, Kai at some point, and I think that'd be very cool. I would definitely be in for that. Yeah. I would I would be in for like a a collaboration oh, like amongst the, the three, the of, three us. of us, right? Something now that is interesting. Yeah. That would be great too. Yeah. yeah. Such a yeah, like no. styles clash. Like, yeah, that'd be fun. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I would sure. love to do yeah. that. I would be honored. I'd be honored. <laughs> we we would be honored. I, I would be honored to have you. Absolutely. Um but that's that's all looking into the future for now. Thank you, Kai. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone listening. Thank you, everyone who's been on the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you've been listening to the uh, season one postmortem recap for additional postage required. Don't forget to write.